Well, again, good morning. Welcome. So glad that you are here with us today. Uh, thanks, Stephen and team, for leading us. Uh, Patrick sends his greetings. He's actually leading worship at our downtown campus this morning. Uh, we had our big grand opening of their new facility last week. And so uh, one of the things as, uh, as an entire church we're doing is just trying to help them as they get started these first few weeks. So uh, he, I'm sure, misses us, but they only have one service there. It's at 10 o'clock, so he's got it easy today. So, um, but he's, he sends his greetings nonetheless. Well, let me, let me pray for us, and we'll uh, dive into this incredible vision, this dream that Ezekiel had. Let's pray. Gracious Father, um, just so grateful for your continual love and goodness. God, we are thankful that you are the God that makes dead people live, that you take us in our brokenness, that we're not, we're not just in need of a little help or a few tweaks, but that we are dead but you give life. God, I pray that you'd do that this morning. I pray that you would continue to do that in my life and in all of our lives here this morning, that you would continue to do this work of resurrecting power in all of us. Help us now, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, over the week of the 4th, Kelly and I spent a few days in, in the kids, a few days in the South, Hiawassee, Georgia. Uh, we were there, uh, we met with, with Kelly's family, we kind of met there in the middle, a little family reunion of sorts. And I don't, I don't want to be, you know, critical of the South or, or anything like that. I, I usually tell people that Kansas City is not the South, but you can kind of see it from here, right? I mean, it's, it's sort of close. And, and we were definitely in the Bible Belt there in this, this little town in, in, in Georgia, right in the Smoky Mountains. And one of the things that I was struck by most, though, is that as we drove, you know, everywhere, we would pass little tiny country church after little tiny country church after little, I mean, just endless sea of these little tiny churches. And it seemed, maybe it's just a cultural thing, I know we see it around here occasionally as well, but it seemed like every one of them had a cute little marquee uh, with a cute little saying on the front. You know, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, one of them said, I think we got a slide, it's always lonely on the extra mile. Oh, that's inspiring, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, just, you, don't you just feel inspired? Uh, go the extra mile, be a good person, yay! Uh, my, my favorite of, of all of them is this next one here. Let Jesus smooth off the rough edges of your life. Yay, Jesus. Because, I mean, I've got rough edges, Right? I could use a little bit of smoothing off, but, but truthfully, when I saw that, I'm driving along, and you know, Kelly's used to my rants, and, and, and this started me on one, because I, I said to her, is that really the best he can do? I mean, is, is, that, is that all I need? Is My life would just be fine and dandy, just a you know, basket full of peaches if Jesus would just take a little sandpaper and edge off the, the roughness. Is that why he came? Is that all that I need? And I don't, I don't want to be too critical of, of, of that church by any means. I mean, I'm sure they mean well. Um, but it, it got me thinking seeing this phrase. Because I, I think that's why many of us end up at church. Or, or end up sort of looking at Jesus. We, we come with all these different sort of, sort of motivations. Because we have those rough edges. And we think maybe... Maybe, just maybe, he'll, he'll smooth them down for me. 
So, I mean, why, why are you here? Why, why Jesus? I, I mean, for some of us, uh, we just, we grew up, grew up with church, right? And, and your impression of what decent people do is they, they go to church and you want to be a decent person. And so that's, that's maybe why you're here. Maybe, maybe you just, you're in need of a little self-help, right? A little self-improvement. Maybe your, your marriage and, and that motivates you. Or maybe it's just to make friends. Or, or, or for many of us, I know this is a really popular one, especially in our, our community. It's, you know, I really want my children to grow up with some good morals, Right? And none of those are, are bad reasons. And the reality is, no matter why you're here, we're really glad that you're here. But is that all Jesus came to do? Is that the, is that the best that he can accomplish? And frankly, deep down as I look at myself, is that really all that I need? Well, not according to the strange little prophet Ezekiel. It's a weird book. Right there, you know, two-thirds of the way through the Old Testament. I mean, it's just kind of... I mean, Ezekiel is always the one. Anytime I turn there, I start reading. I'm like, really, God? Like, he saw all these things. I mean, it's it's bizarre, isn't it? And and here in the midst, we see this, this little story. And we, we see that according to Ezekiel, God doesn't smooth rough edges. God makes dead people live. He's not into moral improvement or self-help. God makes dead people live. He's, he doesn't even really all that interested in making decent people better. God makes dead people live. The trouble is, I don't really like to think of myself as dead, Right? Hopeless, helpless, desperate. I mean, these are not exactly words that that we Americans like to use to describe ourselves, is it? Yet according to this book, apart from Christ, that is exactly who we are. We're the walking dead, zombies at best. Rough edges? That's the least of our worries. First, we need a pulse. But hey, good news God makes dead people live. So let's, let's look at this bizarre story. A valley of, of dry bones. If you, if you have your Bible, if you want to follow along, we're in Ezekiel chapter 37. Um, you know, good luck finding it. Just turn to the table of contents. Don't try to be a hero. It's there somewhere. But Ezekiel now, he, he's one of the prophets, okay? And we've been in the prophets together. And he's writing at a very similar time period as Jeremiah. We spent the last couple of weeks in, in Jeremiah. And if you remember the context there, Israel had rejected God. And God kind of returned the favor, didn't he? And everything is in flux in Israel's lives, their world. Because of their rebellion, they decided to hate God, essentially. And the Babylonians sweep in destroy Jerusalem, murder a bunch of the people, and send a lot of the, the ones that are left back up into Babylon. Ezekiel is one of those individuals who made that long, imprisoned trek from Israel to Babylon. He was one of them. This was a dark period of Israel's history. But one day, Ezekiel has this vision or, or, or dream you know, something like that. And I mean, we've all had weird dreams, right? 
But I, I am pretty confident that none of us have, have had one quite as bizarre as all of this. Now, we already heard these verses read, uh, but if you want to follow along in your Bible, you're welcome to do so. But just even let us enter into to what he saw, what he experienced in this bizarre place, okay? So Ezekiel, he found himself, again, in this dream, this vision, whatever you want to call it, he found himself in the midst of this huge valley. And, and I picture it kind of around dusk, right? Uh, maybe a storm brewing, the, the dry and dusty wind thrashing through the air. And Ezekiel is surrounded by human bones. So already this is kind of a nightmare, right? If you're going to categorize it. Everywhere you look is bones. As, as far as you can see is bones. Everywhere, all around you. You don't know how they got there. You don't even, frankly, know how you got there. But you see them. And and it says that they're dry bones. It means they've been dead a long time. That there's not even a hint of life left in these things. And there he is, surrounded. I mean, even in the best of circumstances, right, death creeps us out, doesn't it? I mean, I still remember the first dead body I saw, right? The first funeral, open casket. And I mean, funeral homes, they try really hard, don't they? Makeup and all that, but they, they look dead, right? And it, it disturbs us. There's something about it. I mean, we hate death. We know that death is the enemy, that death doesn't belong on God's good earth, and we will do anything to hide it, to prevent it, to, to run from it, right? We, we know that it's, it's the enemy, and here Ezekiel is, surrounded by it. But, but for him in that culture, it wouldn't just be disturbing. I mean, it would be considered cursed, unclean. That, that this is a terrible place to be. And if there's anything we know about death, it's that dead people stay dead. Always. So there he is. And then God asks him a question, as if it wasn't weird enough already. God speaks. And he says to Ezekiel, son of man, it's kind of God's nickname for Ezekiel all throughout the book. Uh, Literally, it's son of Adam. It's in many ways, it's kind of a a respectful way of God saying, hey, human, okay? He, He wants Ezekiel and he wants the readers to remember that there's a difference between us as creatures and God as our creator. He says, son of man, can these bones live? I would have loved to have seen Ezekiel's face at that moment. He simply responds back to God, uh, um, God, you know. He just kind of throws it back. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know. Well, here's what I want you to do, Ezekiel, God says. I want you to start preaching to the bones. And just kind of see what happens. Because God says, I'm going I'm to make them come to life. Why? That they may know that I am the Lord, he says. I mean, this is, you know, kind of bizarre even for God at this moment, right? 
And again, I picture Ezekiel. I mean, he's just sort of, you know, looking for the hidden camera, right? This has got to be some kind of joke. Maybe the other prophets are sort of trying to pull a fast one on him, sort of gag him or something. And what is going, you want me to do what, God? This is weird. But Ezekiel's been with God by this point for quite a while, and he knows that God is worth trusting and that God is worth obeying. And so he begins preaching to the bones. And suddenly in that moment, he hears a loud noise and everything begins to to rattle and shake all around him. And then the bones, they they begin individual, they join together. And then there's ligaments and sinews and organs and muscles and eventually skin all appearing out of nowhere, all in their right place. And there they are. But they're still dead at this point, lifeless. And dead bones, dead bodies, I'm not really sure which is worse, right? But God says to Ezekiel, we're not, we're not done yet. Keep preaching. Keep prophesying is, is the word that he uses, but it's the idea of, of preaching. And, and this time he says, you know, preach to the wind, he says. Hebrew, it's the same word for breath or spirit. Preach to the breath that first entered Adam, the the first human. Preach to the spirit that lives within all humanity. Preach, Ezekiel. Verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Now I'd really love to see his face. What just happened? These bones now, breath filling their lungs, hearts beating, minds thinking they're alive. What a a dream. You know, I preach, I'm just trying to keep some people awake. Look Look what happens in Ezekiel's story. And again, this, this is just a dream. Have I, have I ever told you my, my preaching dream? Sorry to disappoint. This is going to Ezekiel Nathan. Or, yeah, more like. But my, I have this recurring preaching dream. It, it's actually my recurring nightmare. I'm not making this up. This happens to me probably once every other month, right, Kelly? Give or take. She knows because I always have to talk to her about it. It's always the same, uh, but always different. Uh, it always involves me being somehow up here trying to say things but having no clue what's going on. Uh, either I don't have my notes or I've lost them or I didn't print them or I forgot to prepare or it just comes out jumbled and it's just chaotic. I mean, frankly, I'm absolutely neurotic when it comes to this. And this is a regular thing for me. One time, actually, uh, part of the dream, a passenger train actually drove through the back of the sanctuary and made a stop. And people were getting off and some of you were getting on, abandoning me. <laughs> I remember who, okay? Uh, abandoned, right, right in the middle of my sermon, okay? So that's, that's my preaching dream, okay? But Ezekiel, wow. And I'm guessing many of us are thinking probably exactly what Ezekiel was thinking in that moment. What on earth? God, what are, you, what are you trying to communicate? What are, you, what are you saying in this moment? Well, in the next few verses, God is going to explain to Ezekiel and to us what's happening. 
Because you see, this, this vision, this dream, it was only an, an illustration. I mean, every preacher tries to tell good illustrations, but only God can pull off an illustration like this. Bones becoming life. So what is God saying? And what are we supposed to learn? Well, th- three things, I think. First, we said it already. God doesn't smooth rough edges. He makes dead people live. And second, you'll pick up a little bit of a, a theme here. Second, God doesn't give options. He makes dead people live. And third, God doesn't revolve around us. He makes dead people live. So let's, let's talk about these. First, God doesn't smooth rough edges. He makes dead people live. Uh, you can see, I think we got a slide there. You can see we installed this over the weekend, you know, just for the, the little marquee. Thought it'd go with the theme. Just kidding, we didn't, and we won't, just for the record, over my dead body. Um, but nevertheless, if we did, that's what I'd say right now, okay? God does not smooth rough edges. He makes dead people live. Now, we all need smoothing out, right? We all need improvement, of course. I mean, every, every one of us, none of us has it all figured out, but first we need life. That's got to come first. And so verse 11, as God explains this to Ezekiel, he says, these bones, God says, Are the whole house of Israel, behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. God's people, as we've been saying these last few weeks, God's people, because of their rebellion and sin, God here says that they are nothing but dead bones. They may look alive, but inwardly they are dead. And not just them. Because the New Testament makes it very clear about each one of us that apart from Christ, we too are dead. It says in Ephesians, for example, Ephesians chapter 2 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, like, like the rest of humanity. So who are the dead in this story? We are. It's, it's us. And you see the difference here between moralism and religion or the gospel is, is right around here. Let me, let me explain that a little bit because many, many Christians are really just sort of moralists in disguise, just transparently. And again, I don't want to be critical, but that's just, that's how many of us sort of approach these matters of faith. Or, or The moralist essentially says, I'm going to do the right thing, say the right thing, look the right way, avoid the bad things, and then I'll know that I'm good enough, I'll feel good about myself, I can look down on others, and I'll know that, you know, God loves me, I can go to heaven when I die. That, that's essentially what the moralist will say. It's all about me and what I've done. But the gospel says, dude, you're dead. You're dead. Dead people can't do anything. You can't possibly be good enough. And the trouble is moralism we like because moralism we can feel good about ourselves, right? We can, we can feel sort of, you know, I, I've got what it takes. I can, I can make it. I can pull myself up by my, my bootstraps. We like moralism. Because the reality is, is it just sounds harsh if I say, apart from Christ, you are dead already. And besides, I don't, I don't feel dead, right? We sort of walk around a bit like 
Malcolm uh, from the movie The Sixth Sense. It's a character played by Bruce Willis. It's an older movie. You guys remember this, right? It's the one I see dead people, right? Freaky, right? Okay, some of you have seen it. If you haven't, that's okay. But the, the entire movie, you as the viewer are convinced that Malcolm is alive. And the entire movie, Malcolm is convinced that Malcolm is alive. And then that unbelievable twist at the end, right? Spoiler alert. He's dead. And he's been dead the whole time, but he's absolutely clueless to it. That's us. Dead people don't know they're dead. And until God makes us alive, we have no idea how desperate we really are. I mean, you might say, I'm a a spiritual person, I'm a good person. I have no doubt that those things are true about you. And yet, like Malcolm, you're convinced that those are the things that make you alive. And because we're convinced, we, we end up walking in death just completely unwittingly. And we say, ah, it's just, it's just a few rough edges. That's, that's all I need. Just smooth me off a little bit and I'll be just fine. A few tweaks. I know it sounds harsh. But according to this book, unless God makes you alive through Jesus, you are dead already. You're not okay. You're not even on life support, just barely hanging on. Dead people have no hope, no chance, nothing. All dead people do is rot. Jesus didn't come to make decent people better. He came to make dead people live. And it's because we're so clueless that we are absolutely desperate for God's spirit to break in and to give us this life, to to wake us up from this, this slumber that we are in. And even as we were talking about this as a team, you know, and, and trying to figure out, okay, what, what do we say and how do we say it, what we ended up coming back to is, well, how do we actually convince people that they're dead, right? They're all, I, we can't. I, there's, I can't possibly, because we all, we all assume that we're alive, and that's, that's the default. We think, yes, good enough, spiritual enough, and we think that we're doing just fine. I mean, try explaining it to the, the corpse in the morgue, right? It just doesn't work. Hey, by the way, you're dead. It doesn't work. Only God can wake you up. Ask him to. He longs to do it even even now, even in this moment, like dry bones piece back together. And if you turn to him, he will do it. And when he makes you alive, it's only then that you begin to see how desperate you really were in the first place, how dead you really were. Only God can do it. And you know, just even as as a side note, this is why... So many of us feel so terrible at sharing our faith with others, right? This idea of evangelism and and helping others see and embrace Jesus. It's why we feel so terrible at it. I mean, we still work at it. We want to to influence others and encourage others to see and understand who Jesus is. But there's a reason it's hard. It's because only God can make dead people live. Only he can, can take those bones and breathe life into it. That's why you can't argue a person into becoming a Christian, I mean, yes, God uses Ezekiel in the process. I mean, just just as he uses us. But only God can make the dead live. Ask him to do it. And before we move on here to the next thing, I mean, just ask yourself, as I've had to ask myself this week and even again this morning, thinking through these things, do I know how desperate I am? Do I recognize that? How lost, how dead I would be apart from Christ? Do Do I see it? 
And I, and I know it's ridiculous, okay, but this is just how my mind works. But anytime I think about this, I cannot help but think of Monty Python. I know, I know. Kelly and I saw Spam a lot this summer at Starlight. That's the Broadway musical version of the Holy Grail. Some of you are like, what are you talking? But there's that one scene, right? I, I, I just, I cannot get out of my mind when I, when I think about this. And many of us, right, I, I'd say all of us, but there's, not all of us, many of us know the scene, right? It's that, that sword fighting battle and, you know, the, the guy's just convinced he's going to win, right? You know what I'm talking about? And he gets an arm lopped off. And then he gets another arm lopped off, and he's like hopping around trying to bite the guy. And then he gets a leg cut off, and then he gets the other leg off. Anybody know this scene? He's like, it's only a flesh wound, right? I'm not dead yet. And it's hilarious because everybody can see it but him, right? Everybody sees it. He is dead, and yet he still refuses to surrender. Man, that reminds me of me. How quickly, how easily I forget, and how quickly, how easily I think I'm just fine. I'm doing okay. Most days, that's I'm okay, right? I've got it together. The reason we keep rejecting Christ is because we don't actually believe we need him. Until you're convinced you're dead, you'll never accept an invitation to life. God doesn't smooth rough edges. He makes dead people live. Second, God doesn't give options. He makes dead people live. Because dead people don't have options, right? You know, a bunch of bones drying out in the wilderness. There's no options there at all, right? And yet, verse 12, listen to what God says about these bones. He says, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. Notice the theme, perhaps, right? We love options, don't we? Yeah, that's, just, that's our world. It's like there is no end. Our options have options, right? There are options all around us. And so we just assume that, well, of course God's going to give lots of options. You know, as if there's just this smorgasbord of options in which the dead are raised to life. Come on, God, maybe, maybe just a few options. But there's only one option. God says it over and over again there. And Ezekiel says, I will do it, declares the Lord. That he is the one who opens grave. He is the one who, who brings us home, who gives his spirit. In the, in the previous chapter here, uh, it's a section often called, right there in Ezekiel, called the New Covenant. And you might recall, right, the New Covenant, uh, Jesus later says is about him. He says, this is the New Covenant in my blood when he, when he breaks bread and the cup with his disciples before his death. But there, there in the New Covenant that, that Ezekiel is predicting, promising, he tells tells Ezekiel how it's going to happen, God does. So that God is going to sprinkle us clean. Forgiveness. He's going to give us a new heart and a new spirit. He's going to give us a new ability to actually be able to obey and follow this God. And again, Jesus says this new covenant is about him. Again, reading from that same passage in Ephesians that we read a moment ago. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, our sins, our brokenness, our rebellion, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, 
you have been saved, and God raised us up with him. There is only one option for life. So ask yourself, where am I looking? And honestly, we we ask this question a lot here, don't we? So often it comes back, where are you looking for life? What are you looking to to tell you that you're good enough, that your life is worth living, that that you can be a satisfied, happy person? Where, Where do you look? We look at others, right? Well, I'm better off than they are, right? Not that bad. Or we just say, well, you know, I'm, I'm happy enough, I, I'm successful, I'm educated, I'm attractive, or, or whatever it is, I have money, a good family. We, we look at all of these things and say, give me life. We look at a million things to tell us that we're okay, but God doesn't give us any options. Only he makes the dead live. Have you come to him for life? I mean, even if, even if you're already a follower of Jesus... I'm still talking to you here and and to myself. Because you could admit you were dead at one point and you could turn to him for life and yet, I'm just so forgetful. I so quickly begin living my life and thinking, you know what, I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm really doing okay. And frankly, there's these other things that I can just squeeze for a little bit more of life, right? A little more satisfaction. And I look everywhere and I do it constantly and I say to these things, whether it's family or leisure or food or just about anything, right? Say, give me meaning. Give me satisfaction. I'm desperate for it. We all turn to all kinds of things. Do you trust in him for your life daily? Are you still looking elsewhere? And it kind of reminds me a little bit of that conversation Jesus had with this guy, Nicodemus. Uh, Maybe some of you are familiar with this, but Nicodemus, and he was as good as they get, as righteous as they come, powerful, wealthy, and he's a Pharisee, right? And and Jesus basically says to him, you know what, big deal, big deal. He says, unless you've been born again, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Doesn't doesn't matter what what your reputation is or what your background is. Unless you've turned to the only option for life, you're out of luck. Have you been born again? Have you received this life from Jesus? And if if you're unsure about that, talk to somebody. Talk to me. And if you have given him your life, trusting in Christ, the answer is yes, you were dead, but now you live. You know, I've always tended to, to believe that my testimony was kind of lame. For those of you who don't know, testimony is just a really Christian-y word of saying the story of how I became a Christian. Does that make sense? We call it our testimony. I don't know why. Um, but it's, just, it's that story, right? And, and I've, I've always thought my, it's, just, it's lame, right? You know, I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor for much of my, my younger life. I wasn't a drug addict or in a gang or, you know, anything dazzling, right? It's just very simple, a month after my 18th birthday, and I can't even explain it, God just grabbed a hold of me. I don't know how, I don't know why. There's not even like some huge like, tragedy or something that I can even point to to say this is how and why it happened. God just reached down and said, follow me. And really for the first time in just that, that moment, I went from wanting almost nothing to do with God at all to, to wanting all of my life to, to, to be for him and to revolve around him. And even though, even though I am still broken and sinful and full of doubts, 16 years, I've never looked back. I mean, why would I want to be dead again? Anybody else think lame testimony? You have a lame testimony, right? Maybe, Okay. 
Never think that again. Never. You were dead. Dead. Dead, dead. A pile of bones. Dead. And dead people stay dead. You were dead. But God gave you life. He filled your lungs. Put blood in your heart. Spiritually turned you alive in that moment. There is nothing lame about a miracle like that. Breathe it in and celebrate. You know, this is one of the things I love most about baptism. We have a baptism service slash pool party. It's kind of how we do things, I guess. Coming up uh, August 18th here. Um, and I love baptism because it's such a visible symbol of what, what happened. Because you, you take that person who has new life in Christ. You said, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus. And you bury them under the water. They are dead and gone just like Jesus was dead and buried. Symbolically, right? And you, you pull them back up and they are raised to new life just like Jesus was raised to new life. I mean, if you've not experienced that symbol of what God has done Get baptized. It's just a beautiful way to be able to celebrate, to experience what God has done for us. Like a valley of dry bones, like a corpse in a morgue, like Jesus in his tomb. You were dead, but now you live. One more thing that we learn here. I don't want us to miss this. We won't spend a lot of time here, but one more thing. God doesn't revolve around us. He makes dead people live. We just cannot miss that in this story. Why does God do all this? Why does God bother? Why does he rescue us? Why does he make dead people live? Not just why did he do this illustration with Ezekiel, but why does he even bother with any of us? Well, he tells us. He said it three times in these verses. He says, verse 6, he says, and you shall know that I am the Lord. In verse 13, and you shall know that I am the Lord. In verse 14, then you shall know that I am the Lord. God says this 72 times in the book of Ezekiel. Why does God do anything? Why does God rescue us? For himself. That we may know him. Yes, God loves us. Yes, he longs to be with us. But so often we think that God saves us simply for us. That once we've been given new life, we can just sort of go on our merry way as if new life is something we purchase on the drive through on the way to someplace better. Is that all it is? Why does God do it? So that we may know him. It's the very purpose for which we were created it's the reason we exist. It's the reason we have new life. So ask yourself, as I've been asking myself, how will you live this new life? What is it going to look like? You were dead, now you're alive. Well, what is that going to continue to look like as, as you live this life following this Jesus? What is it going to look like? God's goal for you and for me, it's not success. It's not happiness. It's not a good marriage, an easy family. It's not good health or money or retirement. Not that anything is wrong with any of those. It's just not God's big goal. God's goal is that we might know him. That we might be known by him. If you want to know why you're on planet earth, we all wrestle that. What's, God, what's your will for my life? What do you want for my life? Well, ultimately, here it is. There should never be any doubt. This is what God wants us to know him. That's why he made you. What's your goal? Will, will you daily, daily give your life to him 
seek him? Will you get to know him through his word and through his church? Will you worship him for all that he's done? How will you live the life that he's given you? What will you do with it? The reality is it's not easy moving from death to life. I mean, it looks kind of easy in this vision, this dream of Ezekiel. But for many of us, the process feels slow. I mean, it's something God does in an instant, and yet we, we drag, we, we struggle through, and oftentimes it can come with a great deal of pain. But this is how God makes himself known. By making the dead live, and it's, it's kind of a specialty. I mean, just think, think about Jesus there in that tomb, dead for three days, dead, dead. And yet God raised him to life, that Jesus Christ defeated death so that we could live, so that death would never have to have the last word with us, both, both spiritual death as well as physical death, that we can have that life. Jesus didn't come for a little self-help, a little moral improvement, or to add a little decency to planet Earth. Jesus came to make dead people live. And this morning, in just a few moments, we're going to gather around his table, the, the table of his, of his death, uh, the table of his life, the Lord's Supper communion. Uh, but before we do that, um, why don't we take just a few moments to reflect on these, these questions that we've been asking together. And I would encourage you as well, as, as we prepare, as you get ready, and as you come in just a few moments, to allow your imagination to really fuel this time. Um, to, to picture yourself as those dry bones, dead and dismembered, I mean, as disturbing as it is, and to, to see Christ himself putting you back together, breathing breath into your lungs, and that you get, get to rise up, that we together, we, just as Ezekiel saw this, this mighty army of God's people, that we together, as a, as a people, we are raised up, and we get to come to this table to celebrate what he's done, to experience that life. Maybe, maybe you've never done that. You, you've not given your life to Christ. Well, and that means, you know, you're, according to this book, you're still dead. But maybe this is the moment of your resurrection. Maybe this is the moment in which God breathes life into those dead bones. And if so, maybe come to this table as a symbol that you receive this life, that you grab onto the life that Jesus promises us and be made whole by the Savior who loves you.